Hey, book by book, and I'm Richard Buse, welcoming you to a new series of studies, this time on the Book of Revelation. And I'm joined here by my colleague, Dr. Paul Blackham, and also by our special guest, Stephen Nichols, who obtained his doctorate at Bristol, and has also done his fair share of ministry right here in Plymouth, where we are based at this moment. Plymouth, England, that's where we are, which is one of Britain's great naval bases in times gone by. We shall probably see ships going by because we're overlooking Plymouth Sound here. And of course, this place is full of history. Only a few yards away from where we are are the famous steps, and they're still preserved today, steps down which came the Pilgrim Fathers, that collection of men and women and children, Christian people, persecuted for their beliefs, who had to leave this country they stepped down those steps into the Mayflower and were conveyed across the Atlantic, which of course was the founding of modern America. We're in the Armada Room, then, of the Royal Plymouth Corinthian Yacht Club. That's where we are. And of course, as we begin our series of studies, we're coming to the first chapter. And as we come to it, let's call it Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, because that's one of the titles that is given to Jesus, right? Well, in different parts of the Revelation. At chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So I suppose right away we could ruminate together on the question of why has this book of Revelation so fascinated the church and indeed the world down the ages? Yeah. Well, it has, hasn't it? And it's the last book of the Bible. It shows us how everything ends. If we didn't have the book of Revelation in the Bible, we might be left wondering, well, who does win at the end? Does Satan have the final word? Does sin and death keep going forever? Uh, what happens to the church persecuted down the ages? Well, of course, everybody has their own idea of how the world will end, and different generations have come up with different theories, whether it's uh, through war or famine or ecological disaster or nuclear meltdown, and they often try and map their own theories onto this book of Revelation. Oh, so many interpretations, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinated them. But for the church, the book of Revelation has always been a comfort because it's shown, yes, the church has been buffeted and persecuted and will be until the return of Christ. But the Lamb wins. Death, Satan, sin does not have the final word. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, wins. Hey, we read the last page of the Bible. That's <laughs> a very important thing. Actually, when we look at that verse 1 here, why does the Father, it says, give this whole revelation first to Jesus? before Jesus sends it by an angel to John. I mean, that is one of the gripping things right at the centre of the book of Revelation, all the way through, that at the centre of all reality, it is Jesus. It takes us back to a truth that was on the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where God, God the Father created everything through Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, he was written in and made the centre of everything. And so the Father's like, I want to explain the whole of history and reality, but it's going to go to Jesus and from Jesus out to the world. Jesus is the centre point, the link between heaven and earth. He's the centre of reality. And in a way, in that first verse, John's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's where all the action's going to happen. 
It's wonderful. Jesus and his victory, that seems to permeate the whole of this series of studies that we're going to be pursuing. And actually, as we think about it, there have been different interpretations, as you say. And the number of interpretations amounts to about five, actually, when we think of the book of Revelation. I mean, first, there is what you might call the preterist interpretation, taken from that Latin word praeter, meaning past. And uh, that would interpret Revelation as referring mainly, or applied mainly, to the days of John, when uh, the, the church was so persecuted by the Roman Empire, and the interpretation would be that all of this is relating to that day. Well, there's something in that, of course, because we shall find that many times. It's not the only interpretation. It's something that maybe fuller is needed. There's also what's been called a futurist interpretation, when, again, after the first three chapters, it's all applied to the future, the end times only. Well, there's a lot in that, because there would be plenty, plenty of... Uh, opportunities for us to look at the future, end times, but it has to be a bit wider than that. Then there's also what's called the historicist interpretation, which tends to regard Revelation as a kind of history written in advance. Well, again, the historical sort of overtones here and there, naturally, but we've got to be careful not to start applying this to things like, oh, I don't know, the Boxer Rebellion in China or the Peruvian dynasty and things like that. That makes it far too more detailed and actually far too, uh, well, artificial. Mm -hmm. Then there's what's called the idealist interpretation, whereby we're told, well, you can look at Revelation, the symbols and the numbers and everything else, as being not of great importance, except insofar as they encourage the believer, just to, be, to feel that in all the buffetings of history, there's plenty of uplift. There's something there, but it's not quite enough. Really, our interpretation in this room and we're situated in the Amhada room, by the way, we're going to take what is called the parallelist view, which I think incorporates the best of all the views. And that is, uh, when we look at the Revelation after the first three chapters, we're getting vision after vision, series of visions, but we're seeing them in parallel. Not as a consecutive story, one after the other, but rather we look at one set of visions, then rewind the video, go back again to the beginning of the whole of this era, the church era, in which we're situated, and looking at it from a different camera position, much as when, when there's a, maybe you see a goal scored in football on television. You see the goal, first of all, from the, behind the net, and then from the up in the stands, then higher up, and so forth. That's what's happening, I believe, we believe, in the book of Revelation. That we're seeing these visions in parallel, one after another, each time, the video comes back again, looking at it from a different camera position. Sometimes it's called the resumptive view. We keep resuming the same picture again and again until, of course, we get to the end of the, of the revelation where we're into the real final moments of, of history. That's so helpful, Richard. I mean, you, when I read your book, you've written this book, The Lamb Wins, which someone said it's the only book anyone ever really needs on the book of Revelation. Fabulous. But I love the intro where you explain all those things, and it helped me tremendously. I'm going, what are all these visions about? Oh, I see. It's the same scene, seen over and over again. Yeah. I love that, Richard. Well, of course, we've got different commentaries here that do help us here. There's Leon Morris. He's a wonderful commentator. Oh, yeah. And there are others as well. So we try and help each other in this great matter of interpreting the book of Revelation. And it's a great excitement for us all to be sharing in this. Actually, looking on at verses 4 to 8, have a look. Steve, what do you think? I mean, here's a presentation now straight away of Jesus. How are we to understand that? 
Well, he seems to be described in the language of the Old Testament in lots of ways, but just picking one or two. If we look at verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. It's the language taken straight out of Exodus, the Passover. Oh, you're right. The lamb who was slain so that the Israelites, the ancient church, might be freed from slavery and delivered. And then they were brought, led by the Lord, into the wilderness, taken to Mount Sinai, where the Lord himself descended and made them his own kingdom of priests. Well, it's the language of Exodus. Mm. We look on and we see the language of Daniel and Zechariah. Here's the, the one coming with the clouds of heaven. It's oh, the yeah. son of man of Daniel 7. Those who, uh, who pierced him, every eye will see him, Zechariah. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. History starts and ends with this man. The whole thing, the whole scripture, the whole of history points to this figure. He's the combination wow. of uh, the whole story. It is a Glory. wonderful thing Glory. for us to hold on to. Actually, and I look at verse 9 here, mm. and um, again, that's uh, one wonders whether that could be even regarded as a key to the whole book. What do you think? Oh, I do. I love that verse 9 because it's I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And I just think there's such a careful verse. You think, what's ours in Jesus? The kingdom? Oh, I like that. Reign with Jesus. That sounds wonderful. But John's like, there, he's on a prison island. There's actually a prison island behind us back there, and John was on one too. And he's suffering. He's being persecuted, and John's saying, what's ours in Jesus in this present age? They'll always be suffering. Jesus said that, always persecution. The apostles, the prophets, they all say that. Yes, we reign with Christ. He's in charge, but we're suffering. What do we need? Patient endurance to keep faithful, witnessing, even though we're under pressure, because we know the lamb wins. We know it's going to be okay. So almost in that little verse, you've got the key message of the book of Revelation for the churches of all ages in every part of the world. It's wonderful, that. And I mean, that's it, isn't it? I, John, who share with you and Jesus the, the tribulation, the suffering, and the kingdom, the yeah. two go inevitably together, together, simply because of the cross. And when he talks about the blood... Freed us from our sins by his blood. That'll come up again and again in our yeah. studies as we, as we go through them. Actually, I like verse 12 onwards. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. That's John writing. Uh, and then comes an amazing description of Jesus Christ. What can we learn about him from that particular description, do you, would you say? It's a wonderful description. It takes us again back to Daniel. Here's one like a son of man. And yet, as we, if we know Daniel 7, we'll see that he's described as being like the Ancient of Days, like mm. the Father. So here the Son of Man has head and hair white like wool, like the Father in uh, Daniel 7. So Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the perfect uh, image, representation, mm. uh, revelation of the Father. But he's also the figure in Daniel 10, who Daniel mm. sees somebody dressed with a robe down to his feet, mm. with a gold sash around his chest. Mm, same thing. It's a priestly robe. Jesus here is presented as the great high priest walking among the candlesticks where immediately we're taken to the tabernacle or the temple. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we remember that the job of the high priest or the job of the priest was to keep the lampstands burning in the darkness from evening until morning. Keep the lamps burning from evening till morning. Trim the wicks, feed them with oil mm -hmm. and so on. And we're told uh, in verse 20 that uh, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
So as we're reading this, we're seeing Jesus as priest, his presence with his churches, keeping the churches shining, Mm. keeping the lampstands bright. The church will never be extinguished Mm. because we have a great high priest who is tending us. And that's the message of the rest of Revelation. Certainly in the, the, the next two chapters, the letters, correcting, encouraging, rebuking, challenging, there he is, tending the lamps, making sure they will never be extinguished. The mm. church will never be wiped out. It's wow. a, actually, it's a massive encouragement for us because it means then that at the heart of the universe, at the heart of all existence, is this person, Jesus Christ, but with him, his church. So the church also, those men and women, boys and girls who love Jesus around the world in different countries, we're caught up with him, we're involved with him. And that means that we too at the center of all things. So it means that the church is what God is all about. Mm. The church in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's very, very encouraging for us all. I wonder if we were to wind up. I mean, I'd like to take that last uh, verse 17 and 18. I think I know it by heart. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so as we go through over these next few studies now, we shall find that we're presented with, I suppose we would call him the cosmic Christ, who inhabits all of eternity. So even back as you were saying, Stephen, in Daniel, the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, he's there. And then as we think of the time when Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same figure, shiny figure, is presented before them. Now in the book of Revelation, the same figure is presented before us. The cosmic Christ is the historic Christ because he died, he says, and his blood was shed for us. Then he's also the dynamic Christ because he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Nobody else can be trusted with those eternal keys. He has them. And it's with great confidence, therefore, that we shall, before too long, come into our next thrilling installment of the book of Revelation. But we'll keep that for next time as we come to the the seven churches. God bless you, and thank you for joining us today.